Sorry, you've just caught me in the middle of putting my trousers on. You're never too old to fetch me a brick. <laughs> there you go, a lemon IED, which is very close to lemonade. <laughs> Donald ducking across the subcontinent. It was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet, stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying, Beware of the Leopard. Welcome to Beware of the Leopard, the final word on the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I'm Mark Steadman, and I go to pieces so fast people get hit by the shrapnel. I'm John Bounds, I'm sitting here in the studio sipping a beer in exactly the way that bricks don't. And I'm Danny Smith, a man of many qualities, not all of them good. We're going through the Hitchhiker's Universe in strict alphabetical order, and so far we've gone from advanced vectoid stabilisis to Apple. But in this episode we're focusing entirely on things Arcturan. Deep Thought famously boasted that, while the great hyperlobic omnicognate neutron wrangler could talk four legs off an Arcturan megadonkey, only he could persuade it to go for a walk afterwards. Danny, you're an eloquent chap. What's the best or worst thing you've ever persuaded someone to do? Best and worst. Sleep with me, I suppose. For, best for you, worst for them. Um, yeah, I do. I do like persuading people to do things. I spend more effort persuading somebody to do something than I do actually doing the thing in the first place would make it worth. <laughs> so can you give us give us some examples? I will spend a full 10 minutes persuading someone to make me a cup of tea, a job that would take less than five minutes in itself. Yes. I do this so often, I don't even know how many teens, how many milk and sugar I have, to be honest. <laughs> it's a change every time that you keep people on their toes. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. I just let them bring it to me and, and, and thank them for it afterwards. Quietly congratulating myself too. I got tea shamed yesterday. No, why? I I made someone. I made three people tea uh, at the co-working space that I was at yesterday, and um, this is my return to to humanity and uh, slightly regretting it afterwards. Um, because like like I I have a very strict rule when making tea, and I, I mean I feel this may be something that we'll come on to at later stages because tea is something very important to Arthur, but I. I, you know, the, 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 the kettle gets boiled, the tea bags go in the cups, the water goes on top of the tea bags, and then you don't do anything for five minutes at least. What? And so, because, yes. It'll have gone cold. Oh, mate, five minutes at least. Yeah, five minutes at least. You've got to let that stuff brew. A little mate. bit of a shake, bit of milk. What? No. Damn, get the kettle wrong. back on. No, then you've got then you've got milk with, with a slight tannin tinge. You haven't got tea. The worst thing about relying on people to make you tea rather than making it yourself is that you do have to put up with bad tea makers like John B. It's a roulette. I'm not bad. I'm very, very good at making tea. I'm just quick at making tea because 10 minutes in five minutes, I want another cup of tea. (laughs) So I'd have to be continually making tea, like painting the fourth bridge. Are you one of those people, John, that can like drink tea directly after it's been made? Like my parents have got, because I, you know, I I grew up in a very tea drinking household and I never drank tea. My parents drank so much. My parents drink so much tea. My dad had the shakes when he stopped drinking tea for a few days and had to go back to drinking it. He has that much caffeine. Um, he was he was um, he was bottle fed tea as a as a small wow. child, and so as a result, he can't go a couple of days without the caffeine boost from tea. He drinks that much, um, but because of of growing up in a tea drinking household, a I, I re- 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 revenate. That's not the word. Oscillate. What's the word? Oscillate. I do oscillate. Remonstrate. Yeah, and and um, and, and and genuflect. That's the game. over the tea making. Um, uh, uh, Pizza gate. Whole, the whole thing. <laughs> 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 I remembered this story from my youth. If you want to um, 
if you want to uh, join me in uh, this this journey back into my youth. I was probably uh, about 10 or 11, no older than 12, at Pontins. And um, I used to get very, very bored at Pontins because I was the oldest in my generation. Let's just quickly contextualise for um, people who are not from the UK that Pontins, um, like places like Butlins, they are holiday camps that you uh, pack your family off to and they're supposed to be economical and you stay in a tiny little house called a chalet and there are uh, or a tent and there are um, entertainments and things laid on and... Um, it's it's something that you probably do for a week in in Cornwall or Devon. Okay, so I was bored at Ponzins, um, and I bought some uh, itching powder from the uh, joke shop. Um, now, all the joke shop things invariably don't work, but itching powder generally does. Um, so I could have just put it in someone's clothes and waited for the result, but I thought it'd be far more interesting to see if I can convince someone to put it in their own clothes. So I spent about an hour talking to this strange uh, this strange this other kid that was like younger than me convincing it was batman powder <laughs> and if he put it down his clothes he would turn into batman oh my god you evil son of a bitch did you first have to persuade him that batman was some kind of supernatural thing not just a bloke in some rubber clothing i really can't remember how i did it i'm, I'm i was i wasn't a huge kid so i didn't intimidate him um so uh the kid goes away and he speaks to his family and his family speak to my family. And as a kind of act of contrition, I'm very publicly held down and have itching powder put in my clothes by my family. Wow. Yeah. I, th- I think it was to stop a fight from happening. Potentially my fi- my family and my uncles fighting their family and their uncles. I think I was kind of like, it was either that or marry the kid, like it was prop up Game of Thrones shit. (laughs) And then later on, my nan took me to one side and told me off anyway for buying itching powder. And she revealed to me that itching powder is just rosehip seeds. Oh, really? So if you take, you know, you take the pods that um, that, uh, roses grow from, open, open them up, the seeds inside of them, is just what they use for itching powder. So I like the fact that she wasn't rebuking you for having bought something that is an irritant, but she was she was complaining that you weren't frugal and that you basically wasted your money on something that yeah, occurs yeah, in essentially nature. after publicly holding me down and, and putting it in my clothes. <laughs> so I know it works. The best thing I've ever persuaded anybody to do recently, I uh, persuaded a man to vote for the better political party, a man who spent the entire time he had talking to me without his trousers on. This, I, um, so as uh, before the uh, general election um, in the UK, um, we were going around knocking doors, uh, talking to people, trying to persuade them how to vote. Um, this man opened the door. Uh, he was very engaged. He didn't support, um, he didn't support us. But he was very engaged in it. He knew a lot about uh, politics. He used to work for one of the privatised electricity uh, companies and he knew a lot about uh, everything was going, but he was not going to uh, to vote the way I wanted him to. And uh, eventually, um, basically because I've got other doors to knock on, I gave up, um, said, oh, yeah, well, thank you for your time, mate. Thanks for talking to us. It's always good to talk to someone who knows what they're doing or thinks they know what they're doing. Um he closed the door, and I'm just down the path, sort of rolling my eyes at my comrades uh, that I've had to do this. And he opens the door again, sans uh, culottes, uh, no trousers whatsoever. He says, I've just been talking to my daughter. He says, 
Fuck it, I'll vote for the communist. <laughs> and then he said, sorry, you've just caught me in the middle of putting my trousers on. <laughs> Which is a, an annual uh, an annual occurrence that happens in his household. <laughs> well, he t- he'd originally told me he was halfway through putting the bu- putting a barbecue together because it was like on a Sunday afternoon. Okay. But uh, pff, I don't know. He's, he's a man who will uh, – he's not bothered about answering the door halfway through a lot of things <laughs> as far so, as I can work out. Well, since we were talking about pontins and butlins, um, holidays, uh, when, when, we were, when we were kids, um, would any of you ride uh, – would any of you pay for a ride on an Octure and Mega Donkey at the beach, which is a thing that the kids did in the 70s? I don't know, but uh, I know what they get for lunch. Half an hour. They've got a good union. I was waiting. I was waiting. I could have put money on you doing that gag. And from one mode of transport, if you were a British kid in the 70s, to another slightly more conventional conveyance. Zaphod sneaks aboard an Arcturan mega freighter so we can get to the hitchhiker's offices on Ursa Minor Beta to meet Zani Whoop. On board, he meets a couple of surly drivers and it had me thinking, John... What's the longest amount of time you've ever spent on public transport? Oh, it was a long time. Um, but first, point of order, um, the Arctur and Mega Freight, of course, is not public transport, is it? It's, um, no, it's not. It's a freighter. Yes. To return to the question, um, yes, I've spent an awful long time on public transport, not simply the time that I was on a coach for 23 hours to get to uh, northern Italy, not the time I spent eight hours on a ferry from Sheerness to Vlissingen, uh, entertained by a band um, of uh, of women who could not play their guitars nor sing, and then woken up by a kick from a steward uh, about six o'clock in the morning saying, you can't sleep here, is he dead? But the longest I've ever spent on like proper public transport is, as you both know, uh, but uh, for the benefit of the listeners, I once spent 11 hours on a public bus going round and round in circles. Why did you do that, John? For the sheer hell of it. <laughs> it was art, man. Art. It was, yeah, well, yeah it was art, yeah. I just like, I just like the, uh, the sort of a uh, lining up of numbers. So I did 11 hours on the number 11 bus on the 11th uh, day of the 11th month. It just went round and round and round. And I asked other people to do it as well. Um, and surprisingly, some did. Th- that was it. Did either of you ever do it? I did it for a little bit. You've been a bit modest, mate. Loads of people did it. It became a thing. Oh, people still do it. I've given up, but other people still doing it. In fact, <laughs> people charge for it. <laughs> That's outrageous. There's a, there's a company who hires a bus and takes people around. Is there? Yeah. And do you get any from that? Absolutely not. Of course not. Shocking. Of course not. Of course. Shocking. I can trump the uh, how many hours was it on the on the coach? The twenty three. Yeah, 23. 25 hours on an Indian coach with broken trousers and no pants. Donald ducking across the subcontinent. <laughs> oh, that's a book. That is a book. Just before I was due to get on, I shit myself. Oh. Um, I had no time to put on fresh pants. I don't even think I had fresh pants um, because I'd been shitting myself with the ala- alarming lacrity. So I just kind of balled them up and put them in the bin and just thought I'd free ball it. Um, but as I was getting on the coach, I heard it rip and the stupid cheap Indian trousers that I'd bought in the market the day before split literally from an inch above one knee all the way around the crotch down to an inch above the other knee. (gasps) And the bus journey was 25 hours with one toilet stop. Spent the whole time trying not to show the Indian family opposite me my bollocks. The effort of that lasted for about five hours. 
and I just thought <laughs> I've seen most of these I've seen most of these people shit in the street. Like I'm sure my my Western bollocks aren't going to become too much of an issue for them. That never happened to pull through. Oh, Michael Palin. Uh, so let's back the truck up for a moment and talk about books. While The Hitchhiker's Guide was required reading for many a young nerd in the UK and abroad, Robert Rankin was also a popular choice for kids of a certain stripe. Armageddon the Musical is one of many that I remember hearing my friends talk about. I was probably still listening to 1970s radio comedies at the time, but I circle back to a lot of his stuff in later years. If you like your humour dry and enjoy a chuckle, you should definitely check out the book on Audible, where you'll hear it read by the author himself. In fact, if uh, even Rankin isn't up your street, there are scores of thousands of books that you can check out with Audible, many read by the authors. Uh, If this piques your interest, go over to audibletrial.com slash leopard and sign up for a free 30-day trial. Grab yourself a free audiobook and support this show in just a few clicks. Back to the Arcturan now, and something we've discussed a lot recently, and we're only two and a third episodes in. Spoiler alert, it's booze. Arcturan Megajin comes in cubes, three of which, properly iced, are used to make a pangalactic gargle blaster. It must, as we have previously discussed, be properly iced, or else the benzene is lost. Now, I must admit to being quite taken with the idea of a drink in cube form, and I wonder, wildly off-topic though though this is, uh, heaven forfend, Danny, what would Douglas Adams make of the likes of Huel? And uh, if, if you don't know what Huel is, it's food in powder form, protein shakes and bars and stuff, and there's a lot of it about. Yeah, um, it, it is that Huel is the most popular brand at the moment, and it's sort of the tech bro kind of solution to food. Uh, mind the air quotes. Uh, yeah, um, I think it's the sort of thing Douglas Adams would have skewered, like absolutely mercilessly. Like trying to solve the problem of food is ridiculous. Dave Gorman's actually had a really good crack at it. Uh, he, yeah, yeah. He on his uh, Modern Life is Goodish show, uh, he he sort of took them took them to pieces for a, for a whole segment just for solving a problem that doesn't exist and taking enjoyment out of one of the things that people actually enjoy in life is eating things. I, I also think it's hilarious that tech bros have took credit for an invention that women have had for pretty much twenty years. They just called it slim fast and shut the fuck up about it. Yeah. Um, but I thought it'd be funny, so I googled fuel poop, right? <laughs> and here are the top four headlines that pop up. Right, number one, fuel bowel moment question mark. Number two, <laughs> this is a Reddit thread, the poop thread. <laughs> number three, uh, three days constant liquid poop is oh. another Reddit thread. And number four is a New York Magazine article. Uh, Soylent creator hacks pooping. It's such um, a different vision of the future than um, the Hitchhiker's Guide universe, isn't it? Bleak. Where should we have lunch? Is the the third or fourth main <laughs> question in the? Yes, it's it's the third question. It's sophistication. Yeah. It's the um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Once you've uh, been self-actualized, you can then chip away at the root of your hierarchy pyramid to take away the actual things that you uh, need and just plug it straight into my veins, man. <laughs> I love the idea of uh, Arcturian Megajin because I've been thinking about the the Arcturian Mega as a sort of... Um, Suffix or prefix, yeah. So I'm guessing this means that they are 
either brilliant in the colloquial mega or a thousand times more powerful mm. in the sort of more technical one. So gin that is either bloody brilliant or a thousand times make you know a thousand times bigger or more powerful is really rather exciting yeah absolutely and if you uh if, you, if it is true that the the gin and tonics is this sort of uh cross uh universe sort of uh race memory that everybody's got a drink called gin and tonics i want to go to arcturia and see what their tonics like if you'd like to know what arcturia and mega gin might look like uh britta boulevard has a photo which you'll find in the show notes and um it kind of looks exactly how i would imagine Arctur and Megagin cubes to look, so I was I was quite impressed by that. Uh, and Instructables.com has this to say on the subject of Arctur and Megagin. Arctur and Megagin is not so different from Earthgin. The Mega is due to the fact that the gin is ultra-bruised from travelling through the depths of the most turbulent space at the speed of an Arctur and Mega Camel in a dark matter-powered blender. And it goes on in that style. Uh, I don't think that is uh, what we would necessarily call canon, but well done to the uh, chap or, or chapess who wrote the article on Instructables for that. Back to the animal kingdom now, and the clever joke Douglas plays with this creature is taking something very small and suggesting that it's very big. See? I get jokes. The Arcturan Mega Grasshopper is used as a comparison, as in ankle high 2A. I feel like phrases such as these were becoming outmoded when our dads were young. So, John, what were some of your favourite anachronistic dad phrases? I'm trying to think of things that my dad says, and uh, my dad mainly says things like, um, how's the football going? Um, Where's that money you uh, borrowed (laughs) from me? Uh, But I I think I had to think a little bit further back to try and really get some stuff. so thinking back to my granddad, number one, he had a terrible habit of pluralising things, particularly people's names. So uh, if he was talking about, I don't know, say famous prime ministers, he would have said Tony Blair's, uh, John Majors. Oh, yes. Okay. Uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher's. I don't I don't really know why he would have done that. Um, my mum still does that with supermarkets all the time. Um, she'll Subways. Because she's she's used to shopping at places like um, Sainsbury's, um, where there was the apostrophe S at the end. And so if it's a shop, it has an apostrophe S at the end, and that's it. Wix's. I'm, I'm going to go to Wix's and, and buy some uh, buy some wood. It's just, yeah. Yeah, Tesco's, Sainsbury's. Yeah, Tesco's. Apparently Tesco's really hate that. Um, and then, But the, the exception that proves the rule, we always go down the Asda. Yes. Another one my granddad used to do is if there was a, a baby or a child crying, normally one of his grandkids, he'd go, what are you laughing at? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. That's uh, that's my granddad. My granddad used to do that. Or, uh, the, you know, I suppose it's a, possibly a regional thing. We, we might not know. But uh, you're as wet as a badger's canoe. Remember that one? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Or um, where do you find that? A cow's pocket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cows don't have pockets unless it's an internal pocket. Granddad, you pervert. They're obsessed by obsessed by animals and their uh, anthropomorphism. These old people. Here's one I never got, mm-hmm. and I think it's something to do with a punishment. Okay. You're never too old to fetch me a brick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that. My nan used to say that. Like, did they used to beat them with bricks and make them fetch the brick before they beat them? Is that where that comes from? No, I mean, I mean, corporal punishment was was sort of banned in my house, but uh, I think it's the kind of thing you you know you, you might hear. Uh, 
you might hear an errant teacher say every once in a while, like with that sort of knowing smile that she knows she's not really going to make you fetch a brick. But, you know, if you keep if you keep interrupting her, then then she just might. And there was the other one that I'm, I remember my granddad and maybe my dad, even my dad saying. Mm. And I think it might be a military thing. Like, day's end ain't till lunch. It sounds like the uh, factory my dad works in. Say, yeah, it's exactly, it's, it's a, it's a pro, that's, that's like a working man's phrase. That's a proper working man's phrase. I don't know. I get the impression it's military. I don't know what that is, but yeah. I, mm. My granddad was a milkman, so he would definitely use that. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely true. Oh, yes. Maybe it's, maybe it's bakers that say. But also, he spent the war driving around India in an open-top uh, car with a monkey. Showing his balls so, to uh, everyone. Th- there was a couple of them for losing your temper. So there's throwing a paddy, yep. which I presume is some sort of Irish um, racism. Throwing a Benny. Okay. Uh, yes. Mm, well, it was that Midland specific, because I could see where it would come from. Maybe. And throwing your jam rag. I don't know where they come from. I like- it might come from uh, the um, Robinson's factory. It could do. I mean, uh, uh, you know, Urban Dictionary does define jam rag as a sanitary towel. Oh, of course. So... Oh, so it, yeah. Oh, well, maybe it comes from the Tampax faction. <laughs> so it's just incredibly sexist. There you go. We've solved it. Beautiful. Aren't old people brilliant? Um, if you're waiting with bated breath to hear the results of our poll to cast Ford Prefect in a hypothetical Netflix series, firstly, bless you. And secondly, we'll discuss that next week. But for now, I thought we could talk about made up places. Now, Arcturus is a real constellation, but many of Adam's worlds are not. But he managed mostly to resist the temptation to give his planets quote-unquote funny names. So I thought we could talk about the responsibilities a writer has in coming up with names for things that exist in their universe and how you sacrifice a joke to build a real world. Now, both of you are writers, but not necessarily of fiction. I enjoy writing fiction, and I I recently finished a... um, a sort of sprawling space opera uh, that was written week by week and and semi-improvised. And I absolutely fell into the trap of giving the places funny names. But then I I got quite proud when I came up with some real world, sorry, with with some like credible names for some of the... um, uh, some of the phenomena that that happened aboard. So uh, I wondered what your thoughts were on this. There's two fantastic examples of this, I think. And um, in the um, at least one, or maybe more than one, of the uh, Adams uh, biographies I've read, there's a discussion of uh, where the name Slarty Bartfast came from, and um, apparently it was an attempt to write a name that sounded as rude as possible without actually being rude. Yeah. Which is a which is a brilliant thing to be able to do, but it, it I think now we've got the um, we've got the sort of connection in our heads with the character. So when you heard it for the absolute first time or read it for the first time, trying to think back to how funny that must have been. It, I think you get a much better sense of how funny that name is when you hear it phonetically the first time, which is you know one of the great things about uh, those of us who discovered the radio series first before the books is that. You get the, hearing the name Slarty Bartfast said before having you know having to do the mental work of reading the entire name and then sort of saying it back in your head is 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 beautiful and and that's one of those where you sort of there's something that you get in the in the the R's the soft R's and then the hard sort of buzz and tuz um, that that make it sound rude because it's so close to you know southerners saying bastard that like there's things like that that you only that only ever really work that well in audio because I just don't think reading Slarty Bartfast is as funny as as hearing it. What is your name, by the way? My name is 
My name is Slotty Bartfast. <laughs> I beg your pardon? The other one I was going to um, mention, which I think is a brilliant name, and it's got a lot of comedy in it, and it's both sounds quite alien and completely plausible, I think about it a lot, is um, Ulan Kalufid. Yeah. The ma- it just sounds brilliant. It's a fantastic name. It sounds realistic. It sounds utterly alien at the same time. It's a, a masterpiece of, of, of work, really. When you consider some of the, the you know, the names that you, you could have... Because it's a, it's a one-off joke as well. It doesn't even have to seem real. Absolutely. Okay, back to the animals now. And here again, we have something usually small suggested to be very, very big. The Arcturan Megaleech attaches itself to its victims before biting its head off and making off with its spaceship. Sounds like my ex-wife. hey oh. But seriously, Danny, have you ever leeched off anyone? That's a snidey question. Yeah, well, only if you take it as such. Being a man who's bought me a drink when I've been down on my luck many, many a time, I can't help... That's not leeching, that's friendship. I can't feel, help but feel attacked, sir. No. Um, okay, I, I suppose I'm going to have to refer you to my earlier answer with uh, anyone I've ever slept with. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel leeched off of. It wasn't... I, I, I feel like you, you, you may be protesting too much. <laughs> Johnny B, do I leech off you, mate? Well, I'm taking the fifth. <laughs> no, of course he doesn't. Of course. Of course, of course. I feel very attacked right now. Well, this is a this is a thing in the. Um, I was thinking about this. I, I reread Mostly Harmless uh, the other day. At no point, it seems, uh, have they discussed in the Hitchhiker's uh, universe the concept of rounds. No. That's a really interesting. Yeah, it's never come up, has it? I mean, yeah, we get we you know we're going into the restaurant at the end of the universe. I'll get the first drink, lads. <laughs> oh no, no one says that. No. Uh, yeah, and and Ford Ford buys all the beers. Uh, he buys six six pints of bitter at, uh, uh, at, at the pub at the beginning of the book. Uh, I mean, there there wouldn't really be time for uh, for Arthur to uh, to get the next round in. But no, weirdly, because that feels such an Adamsy thing to to talk about. Is that something that has because. There, there is something peculiarly British. Like apparently, the Brits are the only people basically that do rounds, um, because it's it's a combination of not having table service and uh, some some other factor that I can't remember that that seems to be um, peculiarly British. But because it is such, it, it is surprising that that's something that's that's never actually come up. But then. They spend a f- some amount of time in bars and things, but it's usually only one character, and it's usually only Ford, and he's usually drinking... A- you know what? Actually, he does buy a round of drinks. He buys a round of drinks for... All of the patron, uh, all of the patrons at uh, the bar in Handold City, which is why he run, runs up such um, an excessively large bar tab that he tries to pay on his um, uh, on his Amer- uh, American Express card. So, it- what we're sensing is the Universo's Ford Prefect of Drink. Yeah, but I think it's probably offset by the amount uh, 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 that um, he's leached off of um, Infinitum Enterprises and, and the companies before that that have owned the guide. There's a phenomenal um, guide written, uh, I think, for one of the uh, breweries by um, a, a sociologist, I would guess, um, and it's called uh, basically A Guide to British Pub Etiquette. He has all sorts of stuff. He has all sorts. Of, it's available for free online. Um, I find the link out, but it's um, 
It, uh, it deals with things like going into a pub and not knowing whether it's table service or you go to the bar or whatever. And, um, it's written in a great style and it talks very eloquently in great length about the concept of rounds. And it, it almost, it almost seems like for the outsiders, for the people who read the guide, that the, um, uh, it's a, you know, it's a sort of level up. If you're invited to be in a round by these British people who play this sort of strange game, halfway between um, backgammon and international politics, or you know, uh, you know what I mean. So you've got, yeah, you 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 will be accepted as one of them if you get into a round. It's yeah, it's like a, a little a little alcoholic mini um, circle that you've a circle of trust that you've been invited uh, into, and it is it is a circle of trust because. The you know I, I've I've entered into or I've entered other people into rounds and then you know that 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 trust has been broken. It does happen. People think you're just being bought a drink and that's the end of it. They they don't they don't understand the system and and you know these are Brits who should know better. Um, passport to the pub, I believe, would be uh, the guide to British pub uh, pub etiquette. That's what you're talking about, yeah. And now we move on to my personal favourite of all Arcturian things. The Hagunenons are said to have done for Charles Darwin what a squadron of Arcturan stunt apples would have done for Sir Isaac Newton. I think it's the use of the word squadron that makes this such a funny concept to me. John, what do you think would be the worst fruit to have become militarised? Well, unless we're talking scale, uh, in which case you go, I've got a red currant is really not going to work. It's going to have a lot of megatons behind it. But um, just say you had a small brigade of unripe bananas. Okay. They're not hard. Mm-hmm. Well, they are, they are, they're harder than the, the ripe banana would become. But uh, they are green. In fact, that's, you know, I'm talking myself out of this. They're really good at camouflage. They look a bit like a gun. That's really good. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, that's an effective weapon. It is, yeah. Uh, if you've seen the Monty Python sketch, Self-Defense Against Soft Fruits, you'll understand the only, uh, <laughs> the only thing you can do is eat the damn things. But... Um, <laughs> I thought, yeah, I, the lovely thing about the, I, you could militarize any fruit, uh, and in today's society, you may have to. <laughs> For me, this is all about the collective noun. It, this phrase hinges on the collective noun. Mm-hmm. The wrong collective noun is a phenomenal comedy device. For, uh, most famously, uh, one that has now apparently, uh, if QI is to be believed, uh, become semi-accepted uh, in uh, academic circles, uh, the flange of gorillas. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I think, did you hear the story, completely tangential and not about a collective noun, about, you know, the fluffy bit that goes on a microphone? Yeah. Um, the sort of... Or, um, furry or soft bit. Mm-hmm. Apparently, uh, Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry, at the start of their career, were in a local BBC radio studio, and uh, Hugh was explaining to Stephen about the uh, flumph on the microphone, <laughs> and it completely made it up, and yeah. uh, then went back to a radio studio years later to find out that um, that is now what everybody calls them. <laughs> Oh, that's quite nice. I, 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 yeah, I was, I was thinking about this question myself, and I think it, it depends how you, how you define worst or best. Because a militarized pineapple, that would cause, that would cause some damage. Or if you had a militarized lemon with, you know, fighting against, 
or fighting with uh, a squadron of um, ninja salt, you would you would have a very a very effective uh, and 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 almost nuclear weapon. Right well, just there. to get technical, you could use a lemon to um, generate enough electricity with the right electrodes to uh, power the. Um I don't think they call them starter motors, do they? The detonator of an improvised explosive device. There you go, a lemon IED, which is very close to lemonade. <laughs> Not only does it take out a, uh, a phalanx of American troops at a, a roadside checkpoint in Fallujah, it also um, gives you a lovely, sharp aftertaste. There is a piece on nature.com which makes mention of Arctura and stunt apples, but is sadly behind a paywall. I'd very much like to read it. So if you, dear listener, uh, have an account um, or the means to read this uh, this article do email um, feedback at btlpodcast.com and let us know what it's all about piracy and alas we've come to the end of our Arcturan mega feast I've knobbed on for quite enough so Danny why don't you tell me something interesting that you're up to and or where people can go to find it oh, I can't tell you what I'm up to it's a secret and that um but if you follow me on Twitter at, at probably drunk, or you can find me on my website, which is edtrinket.co. Co. <laughs> um, yeah, have, have a squiz at what I'm up to. Have a squiz at edtrinkets.co. Uh, John, what about yourself? Um, not much to be honest. I just realised that uh, although if people wanted to hear more of me and Danny, or hear more of me and Danny in their mind. They should be checking out the book Peer Review, in which me and Danny... Oh, yeah, we wrote a book. Yeah, read that. <laughs> yeah, take a trip to all 56 of uh, the English and Welsh seaside surviving pleasure beers, or at least attempt to. That is linked up in the show notes, so do absolutely check it out. Get it uh, get it through Amazon, um, and uh, if, you, if you use our affiliate link, then we get... Well, I get a little bit of money, and then John and Danny get a little bit of money because they wrote the book! And it's funny as hell. So um, if you, you know, it's it's so up um, the, the your you dear listener as a listener to this podcast and as a fan of the kind of humour uh, of which we are all fans, you would very much enjoy this book. So um, find the link in the show notes uh, or just look for peer review p i e r review dot co uk um, and uh, and get that book in your uh, in your face and your eyes and um, maybe someday. We will see, perhaps, maybe, in your ears. And that just about wraps it up for The Leopard. You can find the show at btlpodcast.com, along with all of our contact details. Drop us an email to feedback at btlpodcast.com, if you must. And don't forget to subscribe to the show in your podcast app. Just search for Beware of the Leopard. And that way, you get to hear us every week without you having to lift a finger. Thanks again to Audible for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to pick up your free audiobook and start your 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash leopard. And if you have a moment, do please rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It helps people find the show and makes us feel all nice, like we've pressed the button on a Computeach. We'll be back in a week, so until then, share and enjoy.
So I was walking, I was walking down the road to work, and, and what it, it turned out to be in the end, I didn't notice, was a half a cheese sandwich had whizzed past my ear. I just felt the brushing against my hair, my luscious locks, and then this, the absolute shower of uh, cheddar and uh, sun blessed as it broke against the wire mesh fence, smearing butter uh, all down to the uh, parched and gritty pavement. And it was a bloke called Jeff. Uh, who I know who uh, drives a truck for a living. He said, do you want a lift? I said, all right. He says, well, hurry up and get in then. <laughs>